Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the ads on the TV, those superannuation ads. You can't miss them. Uh, They seem to be on all the time. There's a whole new round of them that are on TV now. Uh, Does that ring any bells? You know what the opening words of the ad are, don't you? Is it just me that watches too much television? Come on, come on. Could someone help me out here? Compare the pair. That's what the ad says. Compare the pair. And it shows two people who in some ways are very similar, but the big difference is their final superannuation is going to be vastly different. Uh, they've got the same job, they've got the same income, they've got the same most things, but one has an industry super fund and the other one is just in a normal superannuation fund. So in the end, the contrast between the two of them is actually quite stark. Well, in looking at Psalm number one today, compare the pair could almost be the title of that psalm. It could even be the opening words of that psalm. We're told about two people and the contrast between the two of them is quite stark in the end. But the psalm doesn't actually start with the words compare the pair. It starts with a word that probably needs a little bit of explanation. Uh, It starts with the word blessed. You see it there, chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who and then goes on to give a description of this blessed person. So, what does he mean by blessed? Blessed is a word that we tend to hear quite a lot in our society. I'm quite surprised how regularly you do hear the word. You'll often hear people say, I feel so blessed that such and such has happened, or I feel so blessed that we have these circumstances. And most of the time when people use that word blessed, it really doesn't have anything to do with God. You often hear it from people who would say that they did not have any faith in God or even a belief in God, but still feel that they can talk about their life being blessed. I think what they really mean is, I feel so lucky or I feel so fortunate that such and such has happened. Well, that's not even close to what the writer means by blessed. When those who do have faith in God use the word blessed, well, they're talking about what it is that God has done for them. They're saying that God has been gracious or has been generous to them. But that's actually not the word that's being used here. There is a Hebrew word that means that kind of blessed, knowing that God has done these things for me and that the things that I have have come to me from God's hands. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is is used about 60 times in the pages of the Old Testament and two-thirds of the time it actually gets translated as Deb said when she was doing the kids' talk, as happy. Most of the time that you see this word in the Hebrew Old Testament, it means happy. But it's not the kind of momentary happiness that you have after someone's told you a good joke. 
I mean, the inference of this happiness is contentment, feeling complete, satisfied, fulfilled. They're the kinds of things that the writer means when he says, blessed is the person who. It's that fulfilment, contentment, that happiness, that that resignation that life is as it ought to be. So the blessed person, the content person, the happy person, what are they like? Well, I've always thought it was a strange way for this psalm to start. It actually starts with the negative. It tells you three things that the blessed person doesn't do. You've got it there, verse number one. Blessed is the man, and by man it means the person, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Sounds a little bit strange, doesn't it, to begin with the negatives like that. Blessed is the person who does not do this. I mean, if you were to ask me to describe Deb, and I started by telling you all of the things that she doesn't do or doesn't like, it's a bit of an odd way to begin that description, isn't it? I mean, if you ask me, what's Debbie like? And I say, oh, well, she hates broccoli, and she never goes on roller coasters, and she hates movies with Bill Murray in them. Now, it doesn't really help you understand terribly much about Debbie, does it? I mean... I've just told you three things that she doesn't do, not three things that she does do or is like. But then again, it's not so much that he's saying negative things about this person. The writer is wanting to say that the blessed person is the one who thinks about how they're going to live. They make choices, they make decisions in their life. The blessed person, the content person, makes choices... Choices maybe that not everybody else is going to make. uh, Choices that may not always be the easiest ones to make. And they're fairly major choices that the blessed person is making here. Choices about who they'll walk with, stand with, sit with. Choices about who they are, who they want to associate with, who they want to align themselves with. Choices about thinking, behaving and belonging. Did you see the three things there? The blessed person thinks carefully about where they walk, where they stand, and where they sit. They don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. They don't walk according to the advice of wicked people or stand side by side with sinners or sit in the same place as those who mock, and that's presumably mocking God. The blessed person is not going to go with the flow or just do what everybody else is doing. They're going to think about how they act. They're going to think about the things that they do. Instead, they think about the direction that they will go. They make choices. Now, we need to be clear about something before we go any further. The blessed person is not blessed because they do those things. The psalm's not wanting to say that at all. Their contentment, their blessedness doesn't come from doing those things. It actually comes from what we see in verse number two. And we see it there with the word, but his delight. His delight is the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, when the Bible uses that word law, 
It doesn't just mean the rules that you find in the pages of the Old Testament. That's not what it's saying at all. Uh, Jesus talked about the law and he means the whole Old Testament. Now, the psalm writer, given that most of the Old Testament probably hadn't been written by the time he was saying law, he's probably referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. The story of God rescuing his people from from Egypt and taking them and putting them into the promised land. So it's not just the laws that he's talking about. It's not that he loves sitting there and reading that law about not having two different sorts of cloth together. It's not that he delights in that. He delights in knowing what it is that God has done for his people. He delights in knowing how it is that God has saved his people and shown them how it is that they ought to live because they are his people. He's blessed, he's contented because he knows God. The blessed person delights in hearing more about what God is like, more about what it is that God has done for us. That's what makes him blessed. Happy, content, satisfied. This person knows and loves God. And he delights in finding out more about God, understanding God better. God's word is the basis for his decision making. The attitudes and the the values that this blessed or happy person has, well they're shaped by what God's word says. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about the fact that if we have our faith in Jesus, then we shouldn't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. We should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is, this is what he actually says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And look at what it goes on to say. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Like the blessed person in Psalm 1, if you delight in having your thinking transformed by God's word, you'll know how it is that you ought to be living. You'll know what God's will is. You'll know how to make those decisions, those choices. And I think that's what the writer of Psalm 1 is saying. The blessed person's thinking is transformed. It's changed. It's shaped by what God's word says. That's not always as easy as it sounds, is it? I mean, I bet that you can think back to more than one time in your life. I bet you can think back to more than one time in this past year when you've just gone with the flow, when you knew what you probably should do but you decided to go with the flow anyway because everybody else was heading in that direction. Everybody else was making that decision. Everybody else was speaking that way. So you just went along with what your friends were doing. You shared their attitudes and their values. You did the things that they did. Well, verse 3 shows us the result of delighting in that relationship with God, delighting in what God's word says. The blessed person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. The blessed person, the happy person, well, they're the one whose life is secure. And they're quite fruitful in their life and prosperous even in their life. Now, there's no real description 
of what the ungodly people are like in this passage. Except, I suppose, by inference from the opening verses, um, the blessed person doesn't walk according to the advice of the wicked or stand side by side with sinners. But it does tell us something that the wicked people do, that they scoff or mock. And again, presumably it's mocking God or mocking those who have faith in God. The writer says that the blessed person is secure, like a tree planted right beside the water, that they will be fruitful, but not so the ungodly. And this is where the compare the pair really does come in. Look at what it says in verses 4 and 5. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. If the godly are secure, then the wicked are anything but secure. It says that they're like the chaff. Now what's your first reaction when you read through a psalm like this? See, I think my first reaction is, if only life were black and white like that. That doesn't seem to be the world that I'm living in. The godly, firm and secure, the wicked, those who want nothing to do with God like chaff being blown away. But it doesn't seem to be like that in our world, does it? And I doubt it was at the time that this psalm was written. In fact, in our world, the ungodly seem to normally be doing rather well. They're living rather comfortably. And the very... And very often, those who are godly, well, they seem to be doing it quite tough. It's a very black and white picture, though, in Psalm 1, isn't it? It's saying two ways to live, two types of people. And Jesus picks up on exactly that kind of language in the Sermon on the Mount as well. In fact, it's interesting, the Sermon on the Mount wants to start by describing who the blessed people are as well, the happy people. And then when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying that same thing, that there's two ways to live. Have a look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And the point is driven home a little further on in Matthew chapter 7 when he talks about two different kinds of trees, those that bear fruit and those that don't, and two different kinds of houses, those that are able to withstand the storm and those that get demolished when the storm comes. And in the same way that the blessed man in Psalm 1 delights in the law of the Lord, the wise man in the Sermon on the Mount is the one who listens to the things that Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the key to being blessed, the key to happiness And contentment, well, it's listening to Jesus. It's delighting in what he says. It's letting his word shape your life and your thinking. In a lot of ways, Psalm 1 is kind of presenting an ideal picture, isn't it? 
It's described as being a wisdom psalm because it wants to say those who trust in God, they're secure. Those who don't, well, they need to take great care. It's a very simple assessment of life. Compare the pair, those who delight in a relationship with God and those who want nothing to do with God. But what's the take-home message of this psalm for us today? How do we live in light of this psalm? As people who live this side of the cross, this side of the coming of Jesus, what are we supposed to learn from this psalm? Well, I think one of the mistakes that Christians can sometimes make after reading a psalm like this is that they think that God is calling us to flee from the wicked and to not even associate or talk to the wicked or the scoffers. But you only need to look at the life of Jesus to know that that's not the case. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus seemed to spend a substantial amount of his time hanging around with these sinners that are talked about in Psalm 1. He certainly didn't become one of them. He didn't adopt their attitudes. He didn't align himself with them. But he certainly came in contact with them, mixed with them quite regularly. There's an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians that says this, I've written to you in my previous letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. We may not adopt the values and the attitudes of those around us, but we're supposed to continue to live in this world and shine a light in this world point people to God and to Jesus in the lives that we live. We need to keep living in this world and we need to keep living lives that are shaped by Jesus and his word. But I think there's one more thing that we need to be aware of and that is what it is to be blessed, happy, content, Secure, fulfilled in your life. Now on the subject, uh, on that subject, I'm sure that the Apostle Paul is a great example for us. For Paul, after becoming a Christian, his life was, well, tumultuous to say the very least. After becoming a a Christian, he was beaten on more than one occasion simply because he had become a Christian, run out of town on more than one occasion, thrown into prison on numerous occasions, rejected by his own people, shipwrecked. Life was not easy for the Apostle Paul. But Paul is a man who says that he is totally secure. Not secure because of his circumstances at the time, but secure because of his relationship with God. See, the Apostle Paul says that there's nothing in the whole of creation that's going to be able to separate him from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Here's a man who faced everything that he had in life, the imprisonments, the beatings, the trials, the rejection by his own people, faced it with absolute confidence, faced it happy, Not happy that it was happening to him, but happy that he knew the God who was in charge of all things and in control of all things. The Apostle Paul was able to face his life with confidence because of the trust that he had in Jesus. And he knew that ultimately, on the last day, all things would be put right. 
that justice would finally come to our world. And I'm sure that's what the writer of Psalm 1 is saying as well. The day will come when God will put things right, when justice will come to our world, when those who trust in Jesus will stand with him. But until that day, we can live our lives with that confidence, the confidence of those who know and trust Jesus. And we can live our lives as those whose lives are shaped by Jesus and his words.